Well, good morning. And this story from Chris Hutniak is just one story of many stories of people within this church who are learning what it's like to go above and beyond to make a difference for the kingdom of God in the context they find themselves in. And during this series, we've been showing different videos like this, and we'll continue to show videos like this of folks who are, who are making an impact. And um, it's just such a blessing to know I'm a part of a church that has folks who live like this, who do this kind of thing. And um, that's amazing, amazing to see. For the past few weeks, we've been in the midst of a series called Core, and we have been wrestling with some beliefs that are fundamental to us as a church, that are the core of who we are as a church. And the reason these values are core to us as a church is because, first and foremost, they are core to the people who call themselves the people of Mount Horeb. These are, are truths not because the church has decided they are, but because, simply put, the people within the church have them as a part of their life. And not just on Sunday mornings, but all throughout the week, day in and day out. These values have been things that we have had intentional discussion about and fervent prayer over, and we've decided these are the values that we want to hold as a church. And so, for those of us who call themselves a part of Mount Horeb, these are the values that we hold to um, as, a, as a part of our life. These are fundamental things that I believe if we give our life to, God will use us as a church to make a difference here in the Midlands, here in Lexington, and here in the world because of these values. When I was in high school, I, uh, I pole vaulted, and I would love to say I was like a really good pole vaulter, but it's not necessarily the case. Um, but I did vault against some people that were very good at pole vaulting, and so I would travel to different meets and things and, and vault against people that were so good at pole vaulting. And if you don't know what pole vaulting is, it's the most dangerous thing you could possibly imagine. You have a person who runs down a track, and they hold a fiberglass pole out in front of them, and then when you get to a certain point, they, they shove that pole into a metal box, in which case the pole bends and then flings your body into the air over a bar onto a mat on the other side. It sounds fun, doesn't it? When I was a senior in high school, the winning height for a vaulter in Indiana was 15 feet 6 inches. 15 feet 6 inches that somebody would run down a track, stick a pole in a box, and fling their body up and over 15 foot 6 inch bar. It's crazy. It was, it was very obvious, though, the people who were very good at pole vaulting and the people who were not so good at pole vaulting like myself, there, there, was a, there was a fundamental difference that existed between these folks. And it was actually very simple, but it was hard to come by. It took a lot of effort to get to this point in time. But to be very good at pole vaulting, you had to first and foremost had it have very good core strength. The core of your body had to be strong. To be able to hold a fiberglass pole that long, to shove it into a box and plant your foot correctly, to fly up in the air, to flip your body upside down and pull and get your body over a bar, you had to have core strength that was un unbelievable. My core strength is not quite what, what it once was, amen? <laughs> I know no one else can relate to me in the room. But even as a high school student, this was something that I did not have to be able to be as good as some of the other guys that I vaulted against. And as true as it is in pole vaulting, I believe it's equally true for us as a church. In order for us to see the kind of kingdom success, and please hear me, kingdom success that I believe God wants us to have, it's going to come down to us having these core values as the strength of who we are, really strong in our core to believe these things and live these things out day in, day out. They might become secure values in our hearts and our minds, not just things we say or talk about, but things we actually live out on a Sunday morning and all throughout the week. You know, after working in student ministry now and other ministries here at this church for about 11 years, um, I look around this room and I see many people who have watched me grow, hopefully, um, in my ministry and have watched me fail and have watched me succeed 
And um, I have tried in 11 years to always have the core value that we're going to talk about this morning as a, as a core of who I am. I'd love to say I've done it perfect every single day, and I know I have not. But the core that I want to talk about this morning that has hopefully guided me over the past 11 years has been the core value of above and beyond. Above and beyond. I know this is a commitment of our church, and even as you hear these words, some in the room might be like, are we talking about this again? Yes, we are. You may recall over the past couple of years, this has been a mantra that we have spoken often within the life of this church, because we as a church have decided that it's not okay to just stick with the status quo. That it's not okay for just to be, us to be content to sit in our comfy pews on a Sunday morning and, and be okay because we're here when there are people outside of the four walls of this church who don't know Jesus. And a few years ago, this church decided to start a campaign called Above and Beyond as, as a group of people that called themselves Mount Horb decided that, that there, was, there was more that God wanted them to do. And we committed to work harder than we'd ever worked before, to give more generously than we'd ever given before, to pray more fervently than we've ever pr prayed before, and to sacrifice greater than we ever had before, because we believed that God was going to do something great through our midst. Last weekend, I had the privilege of giving this message in our facility right across the way right here to a group of people that are sitting in that auditorium, even this morning, that weren't here a year ago. And because this church stepped out and went above and beyond to make a difference, there are people who are being impacted right now by this church that potentially would not have been if we would have said no. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that knows what it's like to go above and beyond, to take the next step, to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. And the reason this is true, first and foremost, is because we take our cues from a God who has expressed himself and, and given himself in relentless pursuit of you and me. We take our cues from a God who has spared no expense in sending his only son to walk on this earth and to give his life as a sacrifice for many. We take our cues from a God who has unloaded the resources of heaven to rescue a world that was in desperate need of him. And we serve a God who has done all of these things and has given us the cues for what it looks like to love him well and to love people well. In fact, in the scriptures, Jesus talks about a story about a man who has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. One of them goes far away. And this man decides that the one who is lost is worth leaving the 99 who's already in the fold there to go find the one who's, who's gone astray. We take our cues from this kind of God to extend the good news of Jesus Christ to every person and the love of grace of God to every person, even though that might mean sacrifice for us. We will go above and beyond. What God has demonstrated for us, and what I've found to be true in my life and true in other people's lives as well, is a simple fact. We go above and beyond for the things that we are passionate about. Is that not true? We go above and beyond for things that we are passionate about. You know how I know? I was in downtown Columbia last night with 80,000 other people. And I know they were down there because it took me forever to get downtown to actually be able to park to go to the game. I watched people get their generators out and their satellite dishes out and start cooking food and eating food and spending time. And I watched all these people give so much energy and so much time. Some people were there from the morning until night to go watch the Gamecocks play. Amen? So I went too. And then I watched these people and I walked with them into the stadium and I watched them scream their heads off and go berserk for an effort that in the end fell short. And then they went back and got in their cars, and they drove home and didn't get home till the wee hours of the morning, and here you are at church this morning. Amen? 
Man, we will sacrifice and we will go above and beyond for the things that we are passionate about. This is just a truth that's within our life. It's easy to spot somebody who's passionate for something. It's easy. It just flows from them. My sister-in-law is, is a very good baker, like a very, very good baker, and, and she's passionate about it. And I could bake a cake if I had to. I mean, somebody was like, you have to be. I'm like, I could do it. It would come from a box. It wouldn't be edible. You would not want to consume it, but you could. But my sister-in-law, she, she goes above and beyond when it comes to making cakes. These cakes are nothing like my cakes. I want to I show you a couple of them. Here's the first one. Father's Day. This cake Every blade of grass is piped onto there as, as icing. It's unbelievable. Next one. My, my wife and I have a scamp, and so for Jenna's 32nd birthday, she made a scamp camper <laughs> a cake for, for her birthday. Next one. And for my son and her son's combined birthday, made a Moana cake. Unbelievable. And this last one. A graduation cake this year. It's crazy. It's crazy. And when you see someone who has this kind of talent, and I watch her do this kind of thing and make these cakes, it is so clear to something she's passionate about. Because the amount of time and energy and effort and affection that goes into this kind of thing makes it so clear it's something she really, really cares about and something she's very passionate about. It's not hard to go above and beyond for the things that we're passionate about. It just happens. It just flows from us. It's, it's even our greatest joy to do the things that we're passionate about. There are some people I know right now who are, who are spending obscene hours on fantasy football leagues. Nick Cunningham. <laughs> I mean, insane hours towards making the best fantasy football league they can possibly have. And it's like a passion of theirs. I, I've seen students in our youth program right now who are working tirelessly towards a scholarship, either in a sport or academics, are working so hard. I know guys and women in this church who are spending crazy amount of hours a week working to climb the corporate ladder to get to the next level, to make a little more money. It is nothing for us to give our time and our effort toward the things that we're passionate about, the things that we care about, and the things that we love, because we're dedicated towards it. You can diagnose somebody who's passionate because you can see it in the way they live. And it makes me wonder, as I look at my own life, are the things that we really point our energy and our passion and our affections toward, in the end, do they really matter? I mean, does it really matter if I have the best fantasy football league? I mean, does it, does it really matter if I go downtown and watch my favorite college football team win a game? Yes, it does, but... I mean, does it really matter in the end some of the things that we put our energies and our efforts and our affection towards, or the things that we could put our energies and affections towards that would actually matter, would actually make a difference? What, what if the things that we were willing to go above and beyond for, to take one more step for, to sacrifice for, to work for, what if there are things that in the end were eternal, made an eternal impact? See, here's the thing, that the things that we, that we really put our passions and our love and our affection towards, they show us what we have chosen to point our hearts at. They, they show us and reveal to us the things that have stolen our affections, the things that have stolen our hearts. Because in the end, our passions come from our hearts. It's the things that we talk the most about. It's the things that we think most about, the things we worry most about, and the things that we sacrifice most for. This is why I think the writer in the book of Proverbs writes specifically in Proverbs chapter 4, a scripture that I think is so important, and it's been a guiding piece for me for so long. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, 
Guard your what? Heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, some translations say, because it's the wellspring of life. It's where everything flows from. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You see, when the Hebrews wrote, and the writer in uh, Proverbs chapter 4 wrote, their understanding of the word heart is different from our understanding. They didn't think first and foremost about an organ that pumped blood through your body, or an emoji that you put on your phone, or some symbol they would use to show care and concern for someone. The Hebrews, when they thought about the word heart, they thought about the core of the inner being of every human being. It was the place where all, all affection and thoughts and desires and feelings originated from. Everything that we did or said or thought came from our hearts. And so when the writer says, guard your heart above all else, what he's saying is you have to understand the things you point your heart at will dictate where you go in your life. The things that you find to be most passionate with in your life, that you give your thoughts and your emotions and your actions and your feelings towards, those things will take you someplace. And it'll be evident in your life. As a church, we believe there is no better passion that we can have in our hearts than to see other people experience the love and the grace of God. We believe as a church there is no greater passion than, than to give ourselves in helping people find their purpose and their meaning in God. And there is no greater passion that we have than helping people find freedom from guilt and shame, addiction and hopelessness by the grace of God. These things, these passions should steal our hearts and should be the driving factor in everything that we do, every aspect of our life. And even as I say that, I can feel some people in the pews straighten up just a bit and say, Trevor, for real, every aspect of my life, all parts of my life? I think so. I think so because we've, we've defined a disciple at this church as someone who lives under the reign and rule of God, not just over parts of your life, this aspect or this aspect of your life, but all of your life, every aspect of your life. Because in the end, we believe that, that all of life is spiritual. You, yes, are a physical being, but there is an aspect to you even, even greater than your physicality, and it's your spirituality. You have the very breath of God living inside of you. I believe that all of life is spiritual. You see, we have a tendency with these aptly colored buckets this morning in blue. We have a tendency in our life to, to live our life as if there are different buckets or different, different compartments to our life. And what we have a tendency to do, and here's how I know, because I do it myself in my own life, I have a tendency to say, okay, this right here, this is my family bucket. And when I'm in my family bucket and in the family compartment of my life, I'll live this way, act this way, talk this way. I'm this kind of person. But then when I go over just a bit and, I, and now I'm in my work bucket, this is my work life now. And I, when I go to work, I, I act differently and I speak differently and I live differently than I do in my, in my family bucket because this is now my work bucket. And then we have a tendency sometimes to go to this other bucket. This is my church bucket. And on Sunday mornings, I dress up nice, and I come to church, and I talk nice, and I, I do all these things. This is my church bucket. This is a different compartment than these altogether. And this is my tailgate bucket. When I go on Saturdays, it's a whole different bucket entirely than these, these other buckets, these other compartments of my life. And we could go on and on. Someone this morning said, what about the, the how I drive bucket? When I get in my car, I'm a different person altogether as well. We have a tendency in our life to compartmentalize because, because it's easier that way. I can be a different person based upon what compartment I'm living into. 
But this is such a dangerous practice. And I, w- I would venture to say this is so, so prevalent within middle school and high school students until I got older and I realized, well, wait a minute, this is like a human problem. This is a, this is a human being pro- Everyone struggles with this. Being a different person based upon what compartment or bucket I'm living into at this point in time. But I believe that all of life is spiritual, which means, in fact, in your life, you, are not, you don't have multiple buckets. In fact, it is all one bucket. It's all the same. What this means is the way that you love your wife is the way that you love Christ. You can't divorce the two. The way you handle yourself at work and the way you love Christ is the same thing. You can't divorce the two. The way you conduct yourself at a tailgate and the way you love Jesus Christ cannot be divorced from one another. They're the same thing. The way you treat your friends, the way you treat your family, the way you do schoolwork, all of these things, it's all one thing because all of life is spiritual and it's all connected. And when we begin to live our life in this kind of way, we begin to find, because everything is connected, and this means that there is, there is no such thing as just a stay-at-home mom. There is no such thing as just a secretary. There's no such thing as just a doctor, just a teacher, just a coach, just a pastor. There's no such thing as just anything, because all of life is spiritual. In every aspect of your life, you have the opportunity and the obligation to make a difference for the kingdom of God. You have the opportunity to go above and beyond, to take one step further in every aspect of your life, no matter what you are doing, because you have the very breath of God living and residing inside of you. Whether it's at the tailgate, in the classroom, in the office, at home, it's all the same thing. Now please hear me. Going above and beyond does not mean that we have to do a whole bunch more stuff, amen? I know in the room that we are all busy enough, correct? I'm not saying that we do one more thing. What I'm saying is that the things that we already do, we begin to do with real intention. We, we don't just teach students how to read and write for that sake, but we teach them also they are loved by God by the way we treat them. We don't just do great work with clients and help them find a wonderful home to live in, but we, but we show them they are loved by God above all else. We're not asking you to do any one more thing. God is not asking us to add one more thing to our plate. He's saying, listen, the life that you're already living, do it with intention, realizing that all of life is spiritual and you cannot divorce any of these pieces from the way that you love God. So here's a question I've begun to ask myself, and it's changed everything. It's very simple. Where can the monotony of my life become miraculous? Where can the things that I do every single day, just as a human being, as an employee, as a, as a mom, as a dad, where, is, where can the monotony of my life become something miraculous? Because I can see it differently, and I might have a different intention than I've ever had before with it. We have to find the places that Jesus intersects every aspect of our life, because he does. How can I live intentionally within my family? How can I live intentionally with my friendships? How can I live intentionally in my recreation, realizing and recognizing that Jesus is there with me in the very midst of that thing? I recently started coaching my son's football team. He's six years old. He's playing Pop Warner football here in Lexington. And I'm going to be real honest with you. As a football guy and someone who played football through high school and into college, I, I was overjoyed to know she, he, wanted to play, he wanted to play football. He's number two, just like me in high school. I mean, it's like, perfect. So I was like, listen, 
If I get an excuse to do football stuff and spend time with my son, that's a win-win. I'm totally doing that. I'm coaching football. So I decided to start coaching football. And so it's been amazing how much effort and energy and, and affection a six-year-old can give to football each week alongside of everything else that he's doing. It's crazy. And me, for that matter, too. And so every day I've been going to practice and spending time with these kids. And just about two weeks ago, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, listen, there's, there's more going on here than just you coaching football. There's something that you need to be intentional with here. And I began to recognize on this team that I coach, these boys, these six, seven, and eight-year-old boys, half of the team are, are boys who have a skin color very different from mine. And some of them come from a different side of town than I come from. And some of these boys on my team, they have skin color just like mine and come from the side of town that I come from. Some of them even go to our church here. And I feel like God has just spoken to my heart and has told me, listen, you, you are doing more than teaching them how to block and tackle. Especially with the climate of our country right now, the place that we find ourselves right now, it is of utmost importance. And I have an opportunity, I have an obligation to love each and every one of these boys the same. And so I found myself, as I've gotten down on their level, and these little six, seven, and eight-year-old boys, I'm trying to show them how to block and tackle and do these things, I found myself also realizing the most important thing I can do for them is to tell them, listen, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. And it doesn't matter where you come from, how much money your family has, what color skin you have, it doesn't matter any of these things. You are loved by God. It's something I'm already doing, but I'm beginning to realize there's an intention that God wants me to have here for a much larger purpose, a much larger reason. The mentality of our country must change, and the mentality of our churches must change. And it's going to take place by people who take it upon themselves to begin to live out what it looks like to go above and beyond for Jesus Christ. And here's the greatest news. In Ephesians chapter 3, we are told how this can happen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, says it this way. Now all glory to God, who is able through whose mighty work? Whose mighty power? His mighty power. At work within who? Us. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Do you realize as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Christ, you have a power that lives and dwells and resides within you? that can cause things to happen that you could never even possibly think of asking, could never imagine actually taking place if you allow it to be a conduit through you. Because here's the thing. According to Ephesians chapter 3, you have everything you need to be effective for the kingdom of God. It's in you. Now, even as I speak this morning, there may be some in the room that are like, Trevor, listen, you went to Bible college, I didn't go to Bible college. I'm not ready to have a discussion about the Bible because I don't know what I'm talking about. Or some in the room might say, hey, listen, I've messed up so much in my life that I'm not prepared to have a discussion about God because I don't know, I don't know anything that I'm talking about. Or maybe some in the room are like, listen, sure, when I get myself together, then I'll be ready to finally help somebody else. But right now I'm working on me, and it's going to take like 25 years, so <laughs> slow up. These excuses, I think, though, are, are not adequate. Because I don't think Jesus is looking for us to be adequate. I think he's looking for us to be available. That's vastly different things. I don't care how unqualified you feel this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 says there's something that lives and resides within you that God will use to make a difference, despite how you feel, if you would just be available. 
It's not about being adequate. It's about being available. Think of the people that Jesus chose to turn the world upside down. Twelve, twelve disciples who were fishermen, uneducated men. And Jesus came to them and said, hey, listen, if you follow me, if you follow me, we'll turn the world upside down. Do you realize we are sitting here this morning because of 12 men who believed that Jesus would do something within their life? 12 of them. And here we are across the world this morning. I think of a little boy who came to Jesus. And there were 5,000 people that needed to be fed. And, and Jesus says, hey, listen, if you give me your lunchbox, the fish and the bread that you have, I, I will do something miraculous with that. I, I can't help but think that if the people of Mount Horeb this morning would come to Jesus and say, hey, listen, I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of experience. I don't have a lot of, a lot of success. I don't have a lot of anything. But God, if you'll take it, I, I believe you'll do something amazing with it. I think that's exactly what he wants to do. I think that's the plan. I think that's how he works. For the past couple of months, we've had some men from our church who have worked all week long and on Saturday mornings have given their time to come to our campus here and work on a white house right behind our, our buildings here. Now, for some of you might think, well, what's, what good does that do? It's a house on our property. We're, we're helping ourselves. Not really. This house behind our property, the reason they've been working on this is because this house will be a safe haven for folks who are, who are serving abroad right now as missionaries. When they come home, they can come and they can stay there get recharged and get refreshed to go back out and do God's work once again. These men, I've watched them come and spend time out here, and this building is amazing now. I saw it before, and I've seen it since, and they have done some amazing, amazing work, and they've given of their own time and their own effort. They've taken one step further. They've gone above and beyond to make sure God's work could be done for these missionaries that we support worldwide. You just saw a video earlier of Chris Hutniak, and this man owns a company. He's a wonderful father and a husband in our community, but he's gone one step further. He's gone above and beyond to serve Richland County and come alongside those officers and to show the grace and the love of God, because he believes it's what God has called him to. I get a chance to interact with adults every single week who have full-time jobs and, and who work hard, and they come back on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, and they invest in the lives of middle school and high school students. They don't have to. They don't get paid for this. They hardly ever get patted on the back for it. But they do it because they believe that's what it looks like to go above and beyond for Jesus, to recognize that it's not just about making money and a paycheck for my family, but it's about encouraging and reaching out to others who are in need of God's love and grace. Above and beyond. But I'm afraid that too often we miss the opportunities that are placed right in front of us. As God has given us these opportunities, just yesterday as I was downtown Columbia having a wonderful time, I found myself in the stadium, and I was sitting next to my family, and these two guys came and sat in a chair that was a single seat for one person, and they both sat in it next to me. And so I had an elbow on my side, and this individual had had too much to drink and was eating pizza very loudly. So I was already frustrated by what was happening on the field, let alone what was happening in the seat right next to me. So eventually, as we both got more frustrated, he began to say words that I didn't come here to, there to hear, and it went on and on and on. I'm a pastor, so I know I've got to control myself in public. And so I decided I'd had enough, but I was going to do it in a godly way. So I turned to him and I said, um, excuse me, I realize you just told me you just graduated in May, but you're not acting like you're a graduate from college. So please, if you would knock it off with the language, I didn't come here to hear that. I'm as frustrated as you are, believe me, but I'm not really down with what's happening right now. So if you would just calm it down a little bit, I really appreciate it. I was very nice about it. Yes. And as soon as I said it, this, this kid immediately says, you know what? I'm so sorry. You were right. 
this is my first game since I've been in college, and I didn't realize like where I was sitting now, and you know, I, I apologize. And then launches into his whole life story about how he grew up Lutheran, and his grandmother had passed away in the Lutheran church. He hadn't been back since, and, and an hour later, he's still going. <laughs> and I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> and it was so interesting, because all my, all my family on the other side of me were like, Do you, would you like to switch seats? I'm like, no, I'm good, I think. And so for an hour, this went on, and I had told my family, do not let me yell tonight, I have to preach tomorrow, and so you cannot let me just lose my voice. And now for an hour, I'm trying to talk to this kid with all the things that are going. But it was amazing, because I had this opportunity in the midst of the Carolina game, in the midst of all that was going on, through the alcohol, through the pizza, to have a discussion with somebody about Jesus. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to. But I had this sense that God was doing something here, and I, and I was going to miss an opportunity if I didn't see it as an opportunity to, to share the grace and the love of God with this kid. Now, I don't know if he remembers anything for multiple reasons this morning, but <laughs> I did my duty. I did what I've been placed there to do by showing love and grace. On the flip side of the coin, just a few weeks ago, I was walking through Bilo, and I was going shopping just to get my stuff. And you ever had those days where you walk into a store, and you're like, I hope I see nobody I know. I walked in, and that was my heart. That was my attitude. And I thought, I'm going to get home. My, my children are there. I'll talk to them because I have to. Otherwise, I wouldn't talk to them either. But I, don't, I just don't want to talk to anybody. So I'm walking through, and I'm buying my stuff. And I come to this aisle, and I look down the aisle, and I see somebody that I know. And I, I thought to myself, this person probably could use an encouragement from me that probably sees me as someone that if I were to come and speak to them, it would mean something to them. It would be encouragement to them. And, but then I thought, I just, don't, I just don't want to. And so instead of going down the aisle and having a conversation, I went to the next aisle and I kept going. And I got in the car to go home, and I, all I could think to myself was, how selfish am I that I don't see an opportunity to spend a minute or five minutes talking to someone to encourage them as something that's of utmost importance? What kind of opportunities has God laid in our lap, brought us into, in the classroom, in the workplace, with our families, in our marriage, and we're missing opportunities to do exactly what he's called us to do? How many of us are looking at our window to make sure our neighbor is not in the yard before we go outside? Or calculating whether this thing is going to be too hard or too difficult to do instead of saying, you know what, God, if you've called me to it, as Chris said, I know you'll bring me through it. Would you use me? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, gives a final command to his disciples, and it's really a command for us as well. It's right before he ascends into heaven, and he has this discussion with his disciples. And in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, he says, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me. And in verse 19, then he says, I'm going to hand this authority over to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Here's the final command from Christ. Go into all the world and make disciples, people who would live their life under the reign and rule of God, as we live our lives under the reign and rule of God. Go make more people who would love me with all of their hearts, would submit their entire lives to me, every aspect of their life, not just the ones they find to be convenient. And I think sometimes in hearing this command from Jesus, it's easy to say, well, that's what we pay church staff to do. And we have wonderful staff here at this church, but I'm telling you right now, the things that God has called us to, if we're reliant just upon the staff, it will never, ever happen. The last thing that we need is more Christian professionals, professional Christians. We need more Christian professionals, people who will live and work in the workplace and love Jesus in every aspect of what they do. 
This is the beautiful collaboration that God has called us to as, as church staff and church laity to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And that is what I love about this church because that is our heart, to go above and beyond, to take the next step. Jesus in the scriptures calls us a city on a hill. He calls us the light of the world. A city on a hill and a, and a light in the darkness are both placed there intentionally so that people can find a safe haven as they're, as they're walking and, a, and people can see where they're going in the midst of the darkness. It's placed there intentionally. And maybe this morning you need to know that you have been placed strategically and intentionally in the place that you find yourself today. On the PTA, in your neighborhood, with your clients, with your boss, with your kids' friends, with your friends, in your office, in your home, in your marriage, you are strategically placed and intentionally placed as a city on a hill and a light in the darkness to make a difference for Jesus as you go above and beyond. When I was in college, one of my favorite people that I discovered through this book called South is a guy named Ernest Shackleton. He's an early 1900s explorer, Arctic explorer. And um, he, was, he was British, and he and his crew decided they were going to try to cross, the, uh, cross Antarctica. It was a, a goal there to be the first to do it. And their, their ship got crushed on the ice, and they ended up living there for a year on whale blubber and seal fat, and no one died. No appendages were lost from any kind of frostbite, all because of Ernest Shackleton's leadership. And the book South is all of his journals compiled into one place, and when you read the journals in this book, you, you find the heart that this guy had to say, I know where everybody else has gone. And I want to go one step further. As an explorer, I know what everybody else has seen, but I want to see what's out there still. So I believe there's something more. I believe there's something else. And I've been challenged in my, in my life and in my heart, and I believe our church has been challenged to do, have the same kind of attitude. Listen, I know what everybody else has done. I know where everybody else has gone, but I believe there's more out there. I believe there's one more step that I can take. There's one more thing that I can do. I can live more intentionally with the time that God has given me to make a difference. So very practically, what if we begin to ask ourselves the question, how can I go one step further? As you go to lunch today and you have a waitress or a waiter, take care of them and tip them well as you should, but take it one step further and ask them their name. How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? As you work with that client, take care of them as you should, and take it one step further and say, hey, come to church with me on Sunday. I want you to see what's happening in my church, what's going on, what God is doing. As you fly to your next business place and you sit next to that person that you prayed to God you wouldn't have to sit next to, and there you are, take it one step further and have a discussion. Share your story of how God has changed your life. As you sit next to the drunk college kid at the Carolina game, Take the opportunity to share the love and the grace of God. Go one step further. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the example that you have given us and what it looks like to go above and beyond, to sacrifice your own son, to, to send him here to earth, God, that we might have a relationship with you once again. I pray to God that would be our hearts as well. We would live as sacrificial people, as people who go one step further and who love well, I pray, God, we will become famous for that as we make you famous in this community day in and day out. Lord God, we love you. Would you move in our hearts today? Amen.